Ministry Hangouts and uh, wanted to just let you tell everybody what we're doing here and then uh, I'll give an introduction to our guest here in a moment, but we're excited to have everybody on the call. Hey everybody, we're glad you're here uh, for this segment of Ministry Hangouts uh, where we kind of kick around topics that uh, we all may be thinking about, some of us are talking about, and uh, love interviewing uh, friends and uh, some people who aren't friends. I, everybody's friends. I mean, I like everybody. You know that. But uh, I'm really excited about this week because I've got a couple of close friends uh, who uh, do a lot of things well, specifically as it relates to uh, structure uh, in the church. And so we're going to kick around uh, a little bit on that. And if you have questions or if you want to tweet something uh, that is particularly profound to you, why don't you use a hashtag, um, Ministry Hangouts, and uh, that way we'll be able to see them. Um, Sean uh, is my sidekick, been uh, with us on all of the um, podcasts, and uh, Sean is the senior pastor at Freedom Church in Monk's Corner, South Carolina, doing a great job there. Sean, why don't you uh, talk to us about um, who we've got and uh, where we're going to go with today's segment. Thank you, Greg. Uh, just want to let everybody know that we do have an archive of these Ministry Hangouts. Now you can go to ministryhangouts.com and you can find, uh, I think we've done six or so of them now, some great content. The last one on social media was a lot of fun. If you missed that one, you may want to go back and, and uh, check that out. And today uh, we've just got, a, a, I think, a great uh, panel of guests along with uh, Pastor Greg just to answer some questions on structure. And I think whether you are someone who is naturally a systems guy or girl or structured or whether you're not, um, you'll find a lot out of this uh, hangout today uh, because we've got some uh, some varying uh, different uh, pastors on here, but who all do a great job with structure and systems. So uh, first, we've got Pastor Chris Hodges, who is from Church of the Highlands, uh, the first ARC plant representing ARC. Uh, there in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, Pastor Chris is doing a great job, and, and I call him, uh, affectionately to my staff at least, I call him the systems guy. So uh, Pastor Chris is with us. He's got a ton of wealth of information um, uh, to, to tell us. We'll talk more about this on the call, and I'll let Pastor Chris tell you as well, but he's even got the Grow Conference coming up here in just a few weeks that if you want to learn systems and structure, it's a great place to do that. You can go to Grow Leader and uh, register for that. And uh, so we're excited to have you. Thanks for being with us, Pastor Chris. Thank you. We also have uh, Pastor Larry Osborne over in California. How are you, Pastor Larry? Doing well, thank you. Good. And uh, Pastor Larry is at North Coast Church. He's one of the lead pastors there and one of the teaching pastors and uh, has done a great job of teaching uh, just how to correct structure, how to correct systems. In fact, uh, his book, Sticky Teams, and then before that, The Unity Factor, uh, have been uh, influential in just a ton of people's lives, including mine. Uh, the Sticky Teams I, I refer to um, often and, and uh, love the book, and so we're excited to learn uh, from uh, all that he's learned over on the other coast. And, of course, we have our host on the uh, on the right coast, I guess you'd say. Uh, he's, uh, he's over there, uh, Pastor Greg, at Seacoast Church. And so I'll hand it back to you, Greg, so we can uh, have some fun together today. All right. And I've got my fishing cap on. I don't know if you can see that. Uh, I'm on vacation um, but uh, and having a great time, kind of a staycation. I don't know how well that works, but uh, we're trying it right now. We have uh, two grandchildren that are uh, either born or in the process of being born. In fact, this morning I found out that one that I thought was going to be a born a week from now uh, is going to be born tomorrow, as a matter of fact. So uh, so we're kind of staying home uh, for all of that. Um, hey, guys, thanks for being a part. Um, there, there probably aren't two guys that I respect more uh, in ministry than Chris and Larry, seriously. Uh, Chris, obviously, Chris and I are on the uh, ARC board. Uh, and uh, the Association of Related Churches built a great church in Birmingham that is a reproducing church that's influencing churches all over America and the world. And then Larry, Larry and I um, were a part of the original uh, kind of multi-site uh, team where we uh, figured out, uh, uh, put the, the plane together while we were flying it. We kind of figured it out as teams and uh, how we do multi-site, and came to grow to respect Larry tremendously. And uh, he is a contrarian. 
So we have had many wonderful arguments in the spirit, and uh, that's a good thing. <laughs> hey, I'll never accuse you, Larry, of groupthink, okay? Uh, because you're you're always going to bring another another side to it. Chris, let me talk to you just a minute. Um, all right. First of all, thanks for being on. Thank and uh, I know we uh, we we've done uh, you know several roundtables together um, over the last few years. And uh, I always get so much in hearing you talk about, uh, I don't know what you call it, but three principles of momentum uh, that a church needs in order to grow. Uh, you want to unpack that just a little bit and how it relates to, to structures? Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a leadership lesson I put together years ago. Actually, I, I came across it kind of accidentally reading through the one-year Bible. I was uh, reading how they were putting together the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Of course, I call the tabernacle the portable church. You know, it's the it's so many church planners can relate to that because it was because God was moving and they had to have a setup and teardown plan. What was interesting though is, is that they they had the setup and teardown plan was broken into three different parts. One group would have all the big posts, one of the clans, you get all the big posts, the big solid things that hold the thing up. Another group, you get the tents, the stuff that you know, the coverings. And then the third group, you get the furniture, uh, the, you know, the articles of the tabernacle. I'm reading this and thinking, I mean, those are the exact same three parts of the church that need to be in place in order for the presence of God to be there and for great things to happen. Um, and the structures, I mean, the, the posts are representing the structures, the solid things, the principles, the values, the, you know, how you handle money, your doctrine, your government, etc. The, 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 the tent, the coverings, meaning what you see, it's the coverings, it's your services, how long they are, whether you do small groups or Sunday school, or it's, it's your programming, it's your systems, it's what you see. And the, and the furniture, of course, representing the holy stuff, the presence of God, just the, 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 the both tangible and intangible presence of God. That All right, so here's, what, here's, the, here's the eureka, the discovery moment, Greg, and that was... When we started helping churches, all of all every church did one of those extremely well. Many churches did two of them well. Very few had all three in place. Hmm. In other words, you'd have one church who, man, their their systems were phenomenal, but they but they had bad structures. They had you know the, the way they handle their government or their money, and so it just wouldn't matter how much you're praying. It wouldn't matter how how good your music is. It wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter because those structures are tearing the thing down. Others had their structure in place. You know, and and they're praying the paint off the wall. They got the spiritual in place, but but man, honestly, the programming is bad. You know, they're they're, they're preaching an hour and a half, or they're you know just the, how they handle kids is bad. Just their programming's out of whack. And then others structures and systems are in place, but they just haven't included God. They haven't they haven't really pressed into the spiritual where the presence of God there is in a tangible way. So what we've done, we've used it as an assessment tool for churches and every single time. And this is probably close to, I'll say conservatively, it's at least 1,200 churches that we've assessed using this tool. But every time they do one of them extremely well, they do two of them usually, and never all three. And as soon as we get all three healthy, structure, systems, and the spiritual healthy, then it's just like the whole thing gets momentum. So those are the principles that produce momentum. So what what would be an unhealthy structure? What what would that look like if if the structure isn't healthy? Yeah, the first thing I that I always point out is unclear vision, to which everybody thinks their vision is clear. But here's how we test it. We'll actually go to I'll go before we work with the staff. Usually a meeting which is the lead staff. I'll ask to meet with them individually before the group meeting. And here's what I ask. I always ask myself, what is the win? What is the touchdown? Just tell me. Tell me what you think it is. Like, how do you know when you've done it and when, when you've scored? And Okay, so what is it? And every time I get, I get a great answer, but every time I get a different answer from the different team members. So that it's not like the answer is bad. It's just not the same. And because it's not the same, they have an unclear vision. It's a structure. It's a structural problem. So they're all working on a Sunday trying to accomplish a different goal. It'd be like a football team all thinking, all 11 members thinking the touchdown line is in a different direction. You know, so how, so, so, it, so that's one of them. Financial principles is definitely another one. Uh, church government is another structure. And you've got to have leadership, solid leadership structures in place. 
just to hold up the tent, to hold up the systems, to hold up everything you do. So those are those are three that we start with. Larry, you uh, you've writ written several good books, and and most of them start with the word sticky. <laughs> I like that, but uh, not most of them. A couple of really good ones. Two of them. Uh, yeah, in your in your book, uh, Sticky Teams, you write about structures and systems and how they can unintentionally sabotage the unity and the growth of your church. What are some of the ways that you've seen that happen? And then, kind of, what are some low hanging system changes that we can uh, we can do to to combat that? Yeah, well, first of all, I really like Chris's analogy. Chris, I hadn't heard that before, and uh, in my experience looking at our ministry, it's good days, it's tough days, and others, you, you're spot on. Uh, all of those are important. Uh, sometimes I actually get criticized uh, on some of my leadership books because people don't read the spiritual formation ones, and uh, the leadership books are really Proverbs, and uh, the spiritual formations are Romans. Uh, but I, I kind of look at leadership without spiritual formation is a waste of time, and spiritual formation without leadership is a pipe dream. And so you really do have to put them together. So uh, I couldn't agree more, and I think you've got a, a really good set of sound bites uh, that even match up with Scripture well. Um, one of the things that I, I find structurally is that, that people will, will uh, put too many policies in place. Uh, in other words, they're, they're trying to uh, have a rule for everything that they might face ahead of time. And uh, whenever you find that, you lose your uh, ability to turn on a dime. Uh, contrary to what a lot of people think, because we're kind of laissez-faire and stuff, we're very systems-oriented. The fact is we have very few systems, and we make sure that we have figured out what the essential ones are. And around North Coast, you don't mess with the essential ones at all. Uh, one of the structures is communication, uh, and that starts with a mission statement. Uh, I would hope uh, that if you got any staff member at North Coast Church and you said, uh, what's the mission statement here? They'd tell you that the two wins for us are a healthy church environment. Uh, we don't want to be a churn and burn place, and we got some definitions of that. And uh, that we would also want to be making disciples, all the way from leading someone to Christ, training them how to live, and deploying them. Those are our three uh, measurements. So whenever I find that somebody has a mission statement, or, or Chris, what you call the win, and it's politically correct, it's full of groupthink, it's, it's not really a passion. Um, I, I find that they have a structure and, and systems that won't work because nobody knows what they're structuring and systeming at, what they're aiming for. Um, I find another real common one when that's uh, out of place is you quickly move to disunity. Uh, right. And we don't spend enough time on unity because I think often we think that if people love Jesus, They'll just naturally acquiesce and uh, honor one another. But there are certain times, if you don't know what the win is, again, Chris, you use your word, um, you can't decide what you're doing. Uh, I would say Barnabas was a pretty godly guy. I would say the Apostle Paul was. And yet you couldn't take John Mark with you and leave John Mark behind. You had to go one way or the other. Uh, the clearer you know what your mission is, the less of those disputes you're going to have. Because uh, uh, as you move into that, if... If the Apostle Paul's number one mission on that mission trip was, we, we are really going into some tough territory, we can't have anything but the best going on, then you leave John Mark behind. If Barnabas has an idea of raising up young eagles and being the wind beneath people's wings, then you take some risks there. So I'll use that as an example of what happens when you're not clear on what our win is. Let me give you a real candid example from us. We are all over missions because Jesus is all over missions. So we have a bunch of missionary things we do overseas uh, that have been homegrown here out of North Coast. But to be absolutely candid, it's not the fire that burns within our bosom. What, what burns in us is taking San Diego, not a de-church culture, but absolutely unchurched, no cultural Christianity at all, and, and shining for Jesus here. So in our mission statements and all that, we don't have a lot of stuff about multiplying around the world or anything like that. As important as that is, uh, that, that would be disingenuous to add it in. And those are the things I always have to fight when it comes to focusing on mission and getting our systems and our structures and everything lined up because people bring up lots of good things that aren't really honestly the thing God called us to do. The way I word it is, put it this, is, uh, say that in English now, the way I put it sometimes is this, we all teach the body of Christ, but we don't really believe in the body of Christ. We think that our church must be everything, and gotcha. we sometimes think every Christian must be everything. 
unless instead of saying, hey, you be your part of the body. And I think at North Coast, we know what our part of the body is, and we don't worry that other people uh, want us to hear when we're eyes. It's like, too bad. Eyes don't hear very well. I like that. You don't have to be everything. So, so uh, with, with a young church planter or a, a team that may, maybe somebody's going into a church that needs revitalized, uh, we need to have a vision. We need to have a mission statement. This is who we are, what we want to do. But we want to go light on policy. That's what you're saying. Pol when, do we, when do we implement policy, Larry? When, when do we do that? What's, you know, well, is it when we have a the first thing I always tell a planter or revitalization is this. Start with planting the church you'd want to go to. It's probably mm -hmm. a great reflection of the passion God has birthed in your heart and the gifts you have. And you won't be having to check someone else's manual. Yeah, you'll be checking the manual to add to the core rather than come up with a bogus core. Um, and then, then your question is, when do you add policy? I think at the very beginning you add some policies around that core mission. You know, that absolutely, like, I, you know, every single one of our multi-sites is going to be sermon-based lecture lab model. That's our mission uh, in terms of, uh, not our mission, that's our uh, conveyor belt of discipleship, if you will. You know, we've mm -hmm. got to get you on that. We're going to judge that over weekend attendance. Um, we would have uh, certain other ones. But after the core ones, I always say wait until a few sailors are drowned. Because what most organizations do is a sailor drowns, they come up with a policy like the Navy. And I think uh, you have a funeral for a sailor. Then a second one drowns, you have a funeral for a second sailor. When a third one drowns, have a policy. <laughs> but, uh, everywhere I go, I read their policies, and they're all trying to get the horses that have already left the barn back in the barn. And your yeah, next problem is not probably going to be your past problem. Yeah. And too many policies are going to uh, tie your hands uh, for future innovation because the world's going to be so different tomorrow than we guess. Uh, even in three to five years, it's always changing. That's, I, I, love that. I love that because I am policy averse. Uh, Chris, do you agree on kind of the policy thing that not too much too soon? Yeah, I totally agree, actually. Um, you know, I, I, I think... I think sometimes people say, you know, I'm a I'm a systems or structure person, and another one says, well, I'm not. Truthfully, everybody is. Everybody is doing Absolutely. something to get something done. That's what a system is. A structure is. The question is, to me, is is it working? That's it. So if it's if it's not producing life, and then if it's not ultimately serving your in win that you're trying to accomplish, well, then it's a bad policy. It's not. So I, well, I, you know, let's go. Let's go back. Let's go back to what you just said on systems, because just push back a minute. Somebody says, you know, systems is borrowing, you know, a phrase or a term from the business world. We're not a business. We're a body. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit. That's our system. You know, how would you respond to that? I would respond that systems is your approach to getting what you feel called to do done. Okay. So, so you got up this morning and you took a shower and then put on clothes and then that's your system for getting out of the house. Everybody has system. You're doing something to get something done. Okay. The, again, the question isn't whether you're a systems person or not. Everyone is. So the person who says we're going to be led by the Holy Spirit, they still have a 10 a.m. service on a Sunday. Well, that's your system. You think people would prefer that time. So 10 a.m. services is your system. Again, so everyone's doing it. Everyone has them. The, the, the bigger question, the more important question is, is the system delivering on your goals? Not my goals, not what everybody else thinks you should be doing. Love Larry's thought there of every church fulfilling you know, their own part in the body. Absolutely. But the question is, is what you have come up with, is it working? And I don't think you can defend something that's not working. If it's working, I don't care. You know, if four-hour services are producing your, your goal, it's fulfilling your mission, then that's a good system. You don't have to do mine. The question is, is it working? Is it working? That's good. And, you know, uh, Greg, I, I, yeah, go ahead. Uh, another part of that, too, is uh, people have to understand what the core systems are, you know. Uh, and, I, again, you're absolutely right. Everybody has a system. But too often in a dysfunctional church, we're using the same words but different dictionaries. 
one person calls it being led of the spirit, and what they really mean is I don't like to plan. Uh, and, and another person happens to think the spirit might actually, you know, work in our lives an hour or a week ahead of time. So uh, I find part of the whole systems thing is just making sure that uh, we're using the same dictionary along with the same words. Uh, I've never met anybody who said they don't want to fulfill the Great Commission in a church, but their definition of what that looks like and those steps, those are quite different. And so uh, such a, fir a first step that's so common everywhere is do we understand what we mean by these words? Because uh, you're right, Chris, everybody has a system, but uh, they might and be the using ones that are at odds. And the best way to clarify all of this is to go back to the very first thing that we talked about, and that is you know, having a clear vision. But here's the secret to a clear vision, and that is make it measurable. So the way to get the definitions the same is have measurable visions, measurable. So like Larry was saying, we measure by how many are in that discipleship process online, not by how many are on site. Well, that's a measurable that's a measurable goal. So now you don't leave it for interpretation for every team member and every staff member on, you know, we just want God's presence here. Well, how do you define that? Or we want to fulfill the Great Commission. Well, that's fine too, but how do you define that? Setting some, so vision is, 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 is measurable. And then, okay. and yeah. You don't have to have goals to measure. That's one thing I think, uh, Greg, that people make a mistake on because not everybody's a goal setter. A lot of leaders are, but some approach life as a problem solver. Uh, and one of the things about measurements is I think too many people hear goals. I'm not a goal-oriented guy. I'm a strong directional person. So we're heading towards making disciples. We know what those three steps are. We never have a goal number where another personality might have a goal number at the end of the year, but both of them are very measurable. It doesn't have to be a goal. It could be a direction. So you, even though you would say you're not goal-oriented, you're measuring the things that you expect to happen in your church. Yeah, because what happens is when people talk goals, again, different dictionaries, what most people think of is we're going to have 10% growth this year. We're going to have XYZ baptisms this year. And at North Coast, we've literally never had a growth goal uh, or a baptism goal or a disciple but we have had a measurement, 80% of the weekend attendance has to be in sermon-based small groups. Uh, I think we're at 91% this year, and we don't raise that number, we don't lower it, we've never been below 80, and we think if we hit that number, then whatever God wants on the raw number of how many decisions that equals, we'll get there. A different personality that's goal-oriented would, would, would take that next step, and I think God works in absolutely both of them, but what they do have in common is measurement. You don't measure. All you got is a guess. Good, Sean. I talked over the top of you. Were you were, were oh, yeah. you bringing a question? Or? Yeah, as a as a church planter, so uh, started out with a pretty clean slate. You kind of do what I built the church around exactly like you said, Larry. That I'd want to attend musically everything. Now we're starting to add some systems, and we've added some staffs. So we're adding policies. But I know for me, the Seacoast for ten years. I'm sure it's been like this at Highlands, and sure at, at uh, North Coast as well. That Every now and then a policy can get ahead of you or a, a, something can get ahead of you and you start to evaluate, Pastor Chris, and you, you go, it's not working or it was a, a policy to fix a staff member or a person who's already left or a problem we're not going to encounter. How do you kill bad policies? How do you kill bad uh, structures? How do you get rid of them before they deep root and invest in uh, to a lot of church planters that may be listening? The first thing, let me jump in on this one, always make a policy uh, with this phrase, for now. Second, mm. never put a Bible verse by it, even if you have one. <laughs> uh, the Bible speaks for itself, and uh, like comedians throw out a few four-letter words when the gig's not going well to get a cheap laugh, we often throw a Bible verse by everything to get better buy-in, but the end of the day is they think we're changing our theology when all we're changing is our methods. So that if is good. I learned this the hard way. I got the scars to prove it. And once we started saying, for now, and not having Bible verses, the flexibility of policy is easy. We look at it and say, that's dumb, let's change it. And I hardly get any pushback. But my goodness, when I didn't use the word for now, I got the constant, which you get when you grow, you're changing. And it's like, no, we're yes. not changing at the core or direction. We're changing some methodologies. Uh, so uh, I would say the easiest way to change a bad one is start with those two things and you won't have a problem. After that, 
I go, Chris, help me change it. I ain't got a clue. <laughs> yeah, like that what Heibel is, says, and Heibel says we're incessant tinkerers. That's it. I, I, I think you build a culture in your church and on your team that we're going we're gonna to always evaluate and we're going to clarify. We're going we're gonna to clarify, evaluate, get better. We're going to clarify, evaluate, get better. So if you're going you're gonna to create a culture of, you know, we're going to have an Easter service, then on the week after Easter, we're going to get together as a team and say, how was it? Can we do it better? And let's make some notes for next year and let's just, let's just have a, build a culture of that. So I don't think anything gets – I don't know that we've ever made a policy. I don't know that we've ever even used that word. We just have a vision. We have some systems that are delivering it. And as soon as the, de the, the, the delivery system is not producing what we think it should, we're going to tinker with it until it does. Clarify, evaluate, and get better. That's it. Three things. I like that. Clarify, what's, what's the win? What do we want to do here? And then let's do it. And then we evaluate, how did we do? And then what can we do to get, to get better at that? Yeah, I like, um, I, <laughs> I was at a conference the other day that I was speaking at at a breakout thing, and, and um, one of the guys at the end of the deal, he said they were having Q&A, and he said, uh, you know, I like what you had to say, but why didn't you put it in the context of Scripture? <laughs> we were talking about systems and, and, and all of that, and there, you know, there, there is a, I mean, I believe in the, in the Bible uh, in, entirely, uh, but when, when you're talking about what time do you have service on Sunday morning or Saturday night or how do you do this, how do you do that, I agree, Larry, when you put a scripture around it, that's real. When you say, or here's what, here's what we never do. Uh, we never get up and say, we believe that God spoke to us to take this new direction because right. sometimes the new direction doesn't work. And then it's God's fault. Yeah, then God's wrong. <laughs> yeah, then God's wrong. And so uh, we, we, at Seacoast, uh, our deal is always, uh, this is an experiment. Everything is an experiment. Or right, we're going to do this for a little while. And uh, that way, if it doesn't work, we can get up and honestly go, you know what? Swing and a miss. Uh, that didn't work. We're going to try something else. And uh, you're, not, you're not couched in by uh, this great, uh, uh, you know, spiritual moment that you had with God where he spoke to you and, and uh, no, he didn't really speak. We were just thinking about it. So uh, that, that's good advice. Great advice. Mm -hmm. um, we've got uh, a question uh, from someone that says this, what's the best and worst systems advice that you've ever heard? What's the best, best systems advice you've ever heard? Is that, is that fair enough? Anybody want to tackle that? I'll jump in. The best systems advice I ever got was from um, a book called The E-Myth. Mm. The E-Myth. Uh, it's written by Michael Gerber. It's actually one of my favorite books. And basically, the advice was, it's a great system if others can do it too. Mm. It's so simple, so reproducible. And, and Andy Stanley teaches that, you know, make everything easy, obvious, and strategic. You know, the, 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 more, the more what you create um, the more what you create that can become a prototype for others is going to actually work better in your own, even if others don't do it. Just always thinking about uh, thinking of it as something so simple, another church, really, and we like to think of it, you know, could it be even done at churches of 300 or 3,000 or 30,000? Could, could, does it work? Do the systems work? And, you know, it's not always attainable, but it's a great, uh, it's a great focus to have while you're you're creating systems. This, Did you this mention the name of that great, book? This may be a great example of that, Pastor Chris. Find and replace in Word is uh, a system here that uh, was, was yep. easily reproducible. <laughs> What's that? Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, Larry, were you? I was just asking if Chris named the book. It's called the E Myth. E, the letter E. Right. Okay. Cash Myth, written by Michael Gerber. The E stands for the entrepreneurial myth. Right. I, be I believe the new one is called Revisited about Revisited. Seven, ten years yep. ago. For anybody listening in that wants to get it, that's why I I asked. I kind of missed it when you said it, so yep. they can get it. E Myth Revisited is the one that's available now. Exactly. That's Good one stuff. of those books that you really ought to read about once a year. And uh, go back and look at and look at and look at. It's just excellent on systems. Um, the uh, Chris, um, 
you do the Grow Conference, which I, I think I'm one of your biggest evangelists on. Uh, anytime I'm talking, to, uh, you, you're going to have some international people uh, this year that are coming um, because I said the next thing you need to do is go to the Grow Conference. I think it's that, that good you to, from wherever you are that you ought to go. And uh, you can still register, I think, at growleader.com. But you shared last year about four cups of Passover and how this affects your growth track uh, at the Highlands, which is one of the, the systems that you guys do really, really well on. Can you talk a little bit about that as well as the, what the system of growth looks like, like at Highlands? Yeah, it's just our, it's our ministry filter. It's our grid. It's our, it's our process that we see people going through. And, um, and so anyway, the, the concept being, you know, if you look at the process that God brought the children of Israel through uh, from Egypt to the promised land, and then you also see what the, the details of the Great Commission are, they're the same, that God wants you saved. He wants you out of Egypt. But then there was this process. The second process gets overlooked a lot. He says, I'm, I'm not only going to get you out of Egypt, but I'm going to free you from being a slave. They, the Jewish people called it the cup of deliverance, that there's this process of after you're a Christian, there's this discipleship component of settling your yesterdays and getting healed from your wounds. And so you're not a slave, but you're still thinking like a slave. You're acting like a slave. you got the habits of a slave. You know, so it's a process of that. But then, then there's this process of, well, we didn't want you making bricks in a mud pit. What did we want you doing? You know, so you got to discover your, I call it the redemptive calling. It's the, okay, I'm not supposed to be a slave, but what am I supposed to be doing? So otherwise, because what happens, Greg, is people get stuck in the, most Christians are stuck in the second step of the four-step process. They're just going to spend the rest of their life settling their hurts and their wounds and their problems. Hmm. And they never move on to the fact that God has a redemptive plan for your life. So there's the discovery of that. And then you live, the final step was live fulfilled, make a difference in the world, Ch change other people's lives, which is the ultimate. So that actually, you know, we, so what we did is we created systems around those four things because that's our vision. But now we need to create systems. And for us, the weekend service delivers the first part. We, that's, we see more people get saved, not in small groups, not in events, not in crusades, not in tracks. Not, we, we see more people get saved pulling off a weekend's experience that lost people understand and believers get a lot out of. And then we created this system of small groups to deliver the second process to help people settle yesterdays. And what's so cool about that is that it takes the pressure off of small groups to be what they're not, what they're not even supposed to be. They don't have to teach the Bible. They don't have to, they don't have to, you know, have all this Bible knowledge to host a group. They just need to provide a place where a believer can share what they're going through, receive prayer and, and get healed, you know, and experience some, some, some settling of their issues and, course I think that happens best in the context of close relationships and then uh, Sean just showed you that book that growth track we have a systematic discipleship process but that's not just about learning more that's one of my pet peeves is that most people think discipleship is just learning learn let's just learn let's just get more Bible it's not the goal is is to discover you know your 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 design and let it be developed discipleship it's like college you go to you don't go to college to learn you go to college to get a job when you get out <laughs> you, 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 you so we've got to we've got to tailor make the discipleship process to help people discover their spiritual gift their call their passions and then put teams together finally to uh, change the world that's our dream team you know that and that's our ultimate that's our ultimate touchdown. It's our ultimate win at Church of the Highlands is because we know people have completed the four steps of the process. They got saved. They got delivered. They got redeemed. And now they're living fulfilled, making a difference as part of a team. So the ultimate win for us is not Sunday attendance either or offerings. You know, most people, it's nickels and noses. Just mm -hmm. how much money, how many people. For us, it's how many people completed the four steps of the, of the, of the process. And that's, anyway, that's, that, that's what those four cups of, of Passover actually what's interesting about the four cups of Passover is that this has been in God's heart since Exodus chapter 6 he had never changed his mind mm -hmm. he's always wanted this and even when Jesus came along the Great Commission wasn't a new idea it's it, it was the the ability to do what God has always wanted to do in people's lives just Jesus broke the curse of sin so we could actually do it now 
So, what I've what I've been uh, you know so impressed, or what's uh, kind of been an amazing thing for me, knowing you guys for about well the entire time your your church has been going, that you, you've kept it simple. Uh, I think it was Einstein that said, uh, when the answers are simple, then God is at work, mm. uh, which I think is kind of cool. But you kept it simple. You're still doing the same things. Never changed. Yeah, and, uh, and, and yet improving them. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. Um, Larry, the, talk to me a minute uh, about, we, we were in a meeting the other day, uh, where we're coaching some young pastors, and you talked about how you measure your staff. Like, how, what are the measurements for, like, a worship leader uh, or, uh, you know, people like that in your staff? Do you remember when you were talking yeah, about that? Your, sure. your measurements yeah. are a little bit different. Yeah, Address well, that just a little bit. I'm real driven by Ephesians 4, again, directional. So uh, we're looking for people to raise up other people. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, uh, for instance, when I came, I actually didn't plant North Coast Church. It was a year and a half old, a uh, little group that was meeting in a, a school. Uh, and when I came, they were, the calendar said somewhere in 1980, they were trying to get into 1950 and do that worship well. Um, then we got somebody got us into the decade. And uh, I remember sitting down with him and saying, Paul, you've done a great job, but you need to realize your future here is going to be measured by your ability to raise up other worship leaders. That's uh, what's going to move you up. That's what you're going to get paid for. And, you know, you get what you measure and reward. And it was amazing. Long before we started video venues with all the different demographics, which even preceded the multi-site movement, uh, we already had more bands and we knew what to do with on weekends. And so we were actually hurting our weekends because we are rotating our bands so much. But that's because Ephesians 4 was such a value. And, and that runs all the way through our system. So we tend to look for people and... Uh, and measuring our staff by by really two things. Who are you raising up that you can identify and we can measure? And some jobs are easier on that than others. But the secondary close cousin of that is retention. Uh, I want to know on our growth groups, not how many people are in growth groups, but what was our retention level? Uh, I want to know with a a Sunday school coordinator, not how many volunteers you had, but what was your retention level? Uh, I like to put it this way, if I own the Pony Express, the ponies are more important than the male. And a lot of us act as if the male is more important than the ponies. And you, you, can't, you can't run the Pony Express if you're not delivering the mail. But once in a while, you can lose the mail. You kill your ponies, you're dead. And uh, I find a lot of staff members that are so into the mail, if, if you will, uh, that what they do is they churn and burn their staff. Uh, and it's not long until the word on the street is, I used to go there. And when more people used to go there than go there, you're dead meat. Uh, you know, you need really great marketing to overcome that word on the street. Chris, what about you've talked about um, with staff? Um, you want them to be getting better, and that was kind of the third part of those. You know, what what do we see? How do we measure it? How do we make it better? How do you encourage your staff to get better at what they do? Well, one of the one of the things that that's really worked well um, is we encourage them to learn from proven models. So so, and I require. Uh, I, it's not a policy. This is just an encouragement. <laughs> but I require. Well, let's clarify that. That's good. I I, I don't have a Bible verse. I, there's no <laughs> verse with this one. I um I encourage every department head and every st- uh, staff pastor to know that to know at least three people in America who are their counterparts who do what they do in another church and especially to know and, and be in relationship with churches who do what they do even better than they do it so you could go to our children's pastor and she could tell you of the you know three children's ministries she's learning from right now in America that do children better than us you know we'll go and we'll hang out we'll make site visits we'll learn from them We'll bring back, we'll debrief, and 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 honestly, what happens is is half of what they think we ought to implement. I mean, is what we actually should. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, of, of all the ideas they bring back, we always let them settle a little bit. But everybody's learning, everybody's growing, and we do it from proven models. I do it. I do that myself, actually. I about. I usually it takes me a year, but I'll take one ministry a year, Greg, and just 
I want to, I want to, I want to meet the pastor. I want to, I want to learn what they do. I want to go spend a day with him. I'm actually traveling tomorrow to go spend an entire day with a pastor here in America who does a whole lot of things better than we do. And I'm, mm -hmm. and I've got three pages of questions ready to go. I'm going to come back with a bunch of ideas. I just did, I just did it last year with Stephen Furtick over in, in Charlotte. I came back with 31 items I wanted to implement. And, and after about a month that there was only about 15 and we've already implemented about 10 of those 15 and they have dramatically changed our church, you know, so it's, it's just that culture. That's what, that's what I expect of our staff is to, is to See, and I, I, I love that about you because if you go to church of the Highlands, you go, here's one of the great churches in America. You know what? It's kind of like, what could they learn? But you are constantly, constantly learning. Uh, in fact, the other day I was at Church of the Highlands, and I asked one of your guys, I don't remember who it was, but I said, you guys really do this. I mean, Chris says he makes you guys, or not makes, it's not a policy, he encourages. He encourages you guys to have three people, you know, that are more advanced than you are. Do you really do that, and who are yours? And he said, yes, we do, and here's who I do it with. Which, you know, I mean, it's one thing to say it, it's another thing. It's part of the culture, part and the culture. It's, it's, it's part of growing. I love that. I love that about what you guys do. Hey, Larry, um, I wanted to ask you something else about, you made a distinction just a few minutes ago uh, when you were talking about multi-site. I know, Chris, how many how many sites do you guys have now, Chris, uh, multi-site? You have nine sites. And, uh, Larry, you were talking about um, uh, multi-site as opposed to multi-venue. And I know that you guys do multi-site, but you are great best in the world, I think, at multi-venue. Um, can you t talk to me about that a little bit? Here's, here's one of my deals. What, why do you guys do, why do you think you do well at multi-venues? And I know there are a lot of people that come and see what you guys do, and uh, not a lot of them um, do as well as what you do in it. So can you kind of unpack that a little bit? Talk to us, what are multi-venues? And uh, why, why do you think you guys do well at that? Well, one of the reasons uh, a lot of people come see it and love it, but then don't do it very well, is they, uh, candidly, the senior pastor wants as many people in the room he's in it's exactly uh, as, right. as possible. Uh, I, there's no other way to get around it is, uh, you know, we grew to over 6,000 with a room of 500. I loved a room of 500 in the sense it felt very approachable to people kept me a lot more grounded than seeing 6,000 people all at once. And uh, now we're at a new site, but our largest room only seats 800. Now we've got another 800 one and a bunch of things. I think we have 26 options on a weekend. But, but really, what, what struck me a number of years ago was as our culture was moving away from excellence and uh, an era of network television, everybody experiencing the same thing, the FM radio, satellite, uh, TV and all of that, that we were becoming a tribal culture. And tribal not by geography anymore, but by choice. Uh, and it's just accelerated with Pandora. Uh, I mean, people just live in a chosen little world. And, and what we've got is we've got uh, one message that I think is much broader than the natural demographic we presented in. And the demographic I see ministry being presented in primarily, there's a lot of other factors. Uh, but it has to do with the ambiance of the room and the music in the room. Uh, and it's not just music. Ambiance is huge. You can't do rock and roll in the Crystal Cathedral. Uh, so those two things. And what I discovered is, uh, you know, I, I preach in flip-flops, jeans, and, a, you know, some shirt of some sort, obviously. Uh, that's Easter or whatever for us. Well, that, that's not going to work to reach traditional people. But uh, if I can give them a room that feels like their room, and uh, they can play some of the songs that they relate to. They'll listen to our message no matter how I'm dressed. Uh, and so a lot of pastors that are trying to change the culture of the church don't realize that uh, uh, you actually can reach a lot broader constituency with a, a message of authenticity uh, if you will take those two things, ambiance and music. And so that's what we've done with this. And uh, we are willing to give up the huge emotional jolt of a, uh, being in front of a massive crowd every weekend to reach more people. And so we've got, I don't like country. Forgive me if you do, but I don't like it. But we got a large country gospel. I don't like hymns. Uh, they bring back bad memories to me. But we got a, a good size, and Greg, I know you do too. Uh, you, in fact, you have much 
better one than we do in traditions. You do that awesome. Um, uh, we've got uh, an edge, then we've got a newer edge we call Last Call because what was edgy 12 years ago is an edgy now. Um, and, you know, our live is what we would do if we could only do one thing. But I'm always finding we have a bunch of people who love North Coast but wish it was fill in the blank. We've already got a bridge to those people. If we can do their language of ministry, uh, we will reach them and their friends. And the beauty of it is when we're two different streets, uh, churches across the street, we look at each other and throw stones. Uh, there was a little Southern Baptist church across from our warehouse years ago, and I know they thought we had all these people because we sold out. And we looked across the street at the 40, 50 people on that seven-acre parcel and thought they had that crowd because they were Historical Preservation Society. And that's sinful on both of our parts. But wow. that's reality. But it's amazing. My traditions people bring their friends over to the edge all the time and say, plug your ears, but peek in. Isn't this amazing? And uh, my edge people love to see traditions. Uh, so I think we've actually not divided the body of Christ by allowing people to be who they are. We've celebrated those differences and honored them and not made them change. So that's here's where it what, comes from for us. Here, here's what I think, and I haven't been to your church in a few years, uh, but I use you all the time in one of my best talks about multi-site. <laughs> and uh, I won't give you the whole talk, but um, it has to do with you know, if you're going to move, if you're going to move people from one place to another place geographically, whether that's inside the same uh, uh, building or if it's in the same city, you know, within a few miles or whatever, there's some things that you have to think about. And I think what you're brilliant at is is understanding that um, if they're going to self-select, that's not going to be involving convenience. Convenience is easy. It's closer to where I live, you know, all, all that kind of thing. But if you're going to self-select something other than convenience, for instance, multi-venues on the same place, why would I go to a venue where Larry Osborne is not live? You are brilliant at this, and most people don't get it. You said it at the beginning. Most pastors, we want the best music. We want the best leaders. We want the house full where we're at because when the house is full, you can feel the Holy Spirit, right? Actually, that, actually, that's crowd dynamics, but you know, whatever. Yeah. And we want that. And and when I went to when I went to your place, Larry, to study this a few years ago, um, you had three venues, I think, at that point, all at the same time. And I went on a Saturday night, and I went into where you were speaking. And I think, you know, I'm not just saying this; I tell everybody, I think you're one of the best speakers in America. You know, I mean, you could, you, you're one of these guys that could preach out of the phone book and people would get saved. I really believe that. And here's Larry Osborne speaking, and the building isn't even full. It seats 500, and it's not even full. The band is not that great. I go to the next place next door, jam-packed, great band. They have nice chairs, and they can eat in that place, which you wouldn't let them eat in the place where you were at. And then I go into the third venue, and it's rock and roll, lights and all that, and people standing up along the edges when they could have gotten a seat where Larry Osborne is. Not too many, uh, not too many guys get that. They really don't get it. They, what we'll do is we'll, you know, we'll add a little, little room on, and we'll even trick out the room, uh, whatever we do. But nobody goes there because the experience is so much inferior, whereas in your case, at least when I went, the experience was better in, in one of the places where you were not. And you were able to do that, I think, because you, you were comfortable with who you were and had a clear vision of where the church needed to go. Would you yeah. agree with me on that? Yeah, absolutely. Let me give you an example now. Uh, I think in this day and age of culture, when you hit a certain size, I would want to use more lights and hazers and some of those things on stage than we use in live, but that would undercut our edge. So our, our live is a cool place. People come. They love it. But it's not as cool as it could be. Uh, and if you think, let me use a business model. It's so shameful that the business world can be smarter than we are in some areas. But if, if I'm starting a, a new franchise or, or, or a new division of my company, I don't want to send my losers there. I want to send my best people there. Hmm. I want to give them the best. And I think at the end of the day, too many pastors want the best in their room. And uh, my mentor just pounded in me, nothing to prove, no one to impress. And uh, the more I would read scripture, the more Barnabas became my hero uh, next to Jesus. And, and I just think for a lot of us, it's too much about us. Um, 
we we worry about whether we go home, you know, Sunday afternoon depressed because the room wasn't quite full. Uh, we call a sermon, uh, boy, that one was spot on because they laughed at all the jokes, uh, sometimes more than, than the life change. So I, I, that's just been something I've worked really hard at for all the years that I've been here. Uh, it's 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 got to outlive me, and uh, if someone else flies higher, we win more championships. And if I win MVPs, you know, I think you actually believe that. I really do. I with everything in me. I really do. Hey guys, this has been great. Let me do one more segment here. Uh, Sean, do we have any questions, or am I okay with this? You, we got one more question from Twitter that I think is a uh, a pretty has been answered, but I want to make sure you might not have anything to add to it. It's Clint. Okay. Uh, who is an art townie, by the way. You can see Clint out there. Uh, he just asked, how do you balance the family atmosphere of a church staff versus the accountability of, hey, we're going to fix things, we're going to get things better, you know, the, hey, you get another chance, you get a second chance, a third chance versus firing people. And it kind of goes with systems because, you know, what's the system for keeping that family atmosphere but also having some accountability? Chris, can we get you on that? Because I think you have a lot of accountability, but I don't see a whole lot of churn at, at Highlands. And so kind of address that a little bit. Yeah, it's just relationship. I mean, we love each other. I, I, I told the Lord when we started the church 12 years ago that I would, I didn't want to hire people that I would want to avoid on my day off, you know, so I, I built it around my friends and we share the same values. We share the same culture. So in fact, most of the time that we're getting better and we're evaluating, they're, they're, they're pushing me I mean, I have guys come in the green room after my message and say, hey, you may want to consider saying this a different way. And just, I think it would communicate. I know what you're trying to communicate, but I don't think it came out. I mean, we're just, we have a culture of that. And so, um, and then I think whenever we're not reaching our goals, you know, I'm very careful to always look at, hey, I'm leading this thing. I've got, I'm the one with the hands on the wheel. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to blame someone else before I'd first look and see, you know, what my role in the, in the, it not reaching what we were hoping to happen, you know, just see and, and just, you know, take take the blame, not the credit, and just, but I don't know. It's a tough question because I really don't have a culture. Or we don't have the, the churn. We don't have the turnover. We just have a, we have a very healthy, very enjoyable, very relational uh, culture here that I think keeps all of that from being, you know, this driven atmosphere. I think it can sound like it's just this driven that's always get better you know it's just it's just something we enjoy doing it's it's sport for us well I think too that um, it's not an either or uh, I think you've got functional families and I think you have dysfunctional families yeah. and in functional families there are responsibilities there is um, you know accountability uh, for your actions, for your words, for your piece of what the family does. And so I think you can have a family atmosphere with, you know, accountability and growth, and it's functional. And uh, so I, th I think a church staff can be that way also. Uh, anything to add to that, Larry? Well, I just say the number one measure of church, of, excuse me, of organizational health anywhere is retention. And... Uh, it, you know, not, and it's not spiritual health. Organizational health is retention. People stay where they feel they're making a difference and being cared for and all that. So there's a lot of ways to do it. I always, you know, I love people who tell me, oh, we're healthy, but they're churn and burn. Uh, and, and so to me, that's the one, number one thing I'm looking at. Every, we ask our people to work hard because the lay people they're working with are working hard. But sometimes we also tell them, Maybe this isn't got your name on it right now. You should step back and roll. Uh, you know, a lot of people know I took 13 years off of writing when my seven, oldest seven-year-old said, I don't like it when Dad writes. He doesn't play with me. That night, Nancy and I chose that we would not write another book till every kid was in college. Those will never be written. I'll always be 13 years behind national involvement, whatever. And I will tell staff sometimes to do that because sometimes staff has no ability to understand. At this portion of your life, maybe you ought to take a smaller job. Uh, that's a big job in God's eyes because there's a bigger one at home. Uh, so we just try to work with people, make sure they work really hard, and then I just keep checking the meter. Are we churning and burning people? And when they stay, I don't really mind it if they gripe a little bit because uh, their staying sends the message because we all gripe. You know, every I bet every pastor with a staff has one or two people on his staff 
who are always coming to them telling them, oh, it's about to break apart. It's about to break apart. And, you know, come on. It's just low-level frustration. It's, you got that anywhere anything grows. But if you start having coups, start having huge turnover, that's a whole different game. Gotcha. All right, hey, let's, let's do this. Um, this is a short segment uh, that we encourage um, crass self-promotion. Okay. Uh, well, what what I want to ask you is this: um, what are, what are you reading, or what have you heard about, or what's going on that keeps you awake, or you think everybody ought to know about? That includes books that you've written. If you've if you've got one, tell us about it. Conferences you're going to do, or just you, just anything. What what's what's driving you right now? What's what's good? What's cool? What keeps you awake? Chris, how about you first? So uh, what's driving me right now is a thought of how do you steward? So we have this big, we have this influence. I never dreamed that we would ever be here. I don't know. It's just I'm, I'm, I'm thinking through what do you do with this other than keep doing it. And, um, and I'm, I'm, I have this resurgence of uh, this Dr. Bill Bright, Lauren Cunningham's idea of the seven mind molders or the seven streams of influence, the seven mountains. And so we're going to, not sure it's going to work. We're going to, we're going to locate the, um, the leaders already in our church in those seven streams, media, business, education, government, mm -hmm. uh, sports, a family, just find the major leaders. I'm, I'm, I'm having lunches with them. We're going to talk about how can we serve, our community and have a greater impact into the world around us than just the church stream, the church world. Started a series this past Sunday on it just to introduce it to the church, but this is the only series I've ever done with a project that's attached at the end of it that we're going to attempt. I'm not sure it's going to work. If it works, it will be something other churches are going to want to do, but we need we need about a year to, to um, pilot it first. Very cool. We'll be watching that. Talk, talk to you. You wrote a book. Give us the name of the book. Yeah, I wrote a book called Fresh Air, and it basically is it's my it's it's my philosophy, my life, the life giving philosophy that you know to enjoy Jesus, enjoy people, enjoy church, attitude. I think it's what the Holy Spirit is all about. The, the word spirit means breath of fresh air. I just think people need to experience. They need to be propelled by something more than the, just their own manufactured energy, and so it's really just. It's 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 more of a book about the culture that I believe in. It's a great book. And then you guys uh, have the Grow Conference coming up when? Yeah, it's it's July twenty third, but it is full. Um, it's been full for about three weeks. We All have, right. We so, have a, yeah. So. So I'm I'm sorry I said anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. We also want to invite you to the Arc Conference that we do together in Jacksonville. Uh, and that will be coming up next April. And uh, you can go to All Access uh, 2014 and find find out a little bit more about that. Larry, what's going on in your world? Well, you know, I think my passion continues to be right now uh, what I wrote Accidental Pharisees about the the last you know book that's come out. I got one coming in October on leadership, but it's it's really uh, I, I continue to have a concern that. Uh, we, we've lost our balance of having both a, a, a nose for leadership and a heart to drive and make big things happen, but also a heart for the little guy, the struggler at the back of the line. Uh, mm. uh, that sense of, of loving the hardcore loss, but the moment they become a struggling save, we want nothing to do with them, uh, mm. especially if it's been a long time. So that just continues to be my heart. I want to be a going and growing place. I, you know, I, Hey, as long as God wants us to, you know, be on those little outreach lists and anything, I'm all for that because it means people's lives are being changed. But at the same time, I just don't want us to lose the heart for uh, the one that's just the very back of the line. Mm -hmm. And so that, that continues to be a passion that I think is uh, not being told enough at some of our conferences today where it's all about more, 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 more. Mm, that's good. At conferences, you have anything coming up? Yeah, all the guys who wanted to get into your July conference can come to our October Sticky uh, Teams conference. <laughs> so uh, we have one uh, conference a, a year here in October, uh, and it uh, takes a different look at uh, every year, uh, some different aspect of building teams. So we're excited uh, 
about uh, the team that we have coming and teaching. It's what's unique about it is you have to come as a team. We punish you if you come alone. Uh, the price point is uh, the same for one person as it is for three. So it's kind of a no green room, all access. Uh, people there with the team, so that makes it fun. Cool, that's awesome. Well, guys, thanks for being with us. And uh, this has been, uh, I think, a, a very, very helpful. I'm going to go back and listen to this one again myself uh, on on structure and just how you lead through all of that. So we appreciate it, Sean. What's coming up next? In two weeks, we are going to have our small groups. Um, session is going to be a hangout all about small groups and that was scheduled I think it was four weeks ago and we had some uh, well we had someone hack the site I think is what happened really and uh, so uh, we weren't able to come on live and uh, we must be getting so popular that we have hackers after this past we really day. are that's when you know that's when you know it's really really good yeah. so uh, we're going to do looking at small groups in two weeks from today uh, if you have registered for any other hangout before you'll get an email reminder um, if you haven't registered you should go to Minnesota ministryhangouts.com and register and get in our email list and we'll let you know about all the future hangouts that are coming. Thank you guys so much for being a part. You can go look at the archives, as I said, at ministryhangouts.com and we'll see you next time.